Amen. We'll go ahead and be seated. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing this morning? Well, it is encouraging to be with you. I expected a much smaller service for this first service as I was driving up early up Hillfield Road. Had to throw my truck into four-wheel drive. I'm very thankful for that. But it also reminded me I'm so thankful that we have an online campus because this is a wonderful day where people can take advantage of still worshiping together regardless of the weather. And just a reminder for the online campus, we are gonna be taking communion together at the end of the sermon. So if you haven't yet um, gathered your elements, we would love for you to do that and celebrate communion with us at the end of the service. Well, my name is Pastor Jared. It is great to be with you. If you are a guest of ours, we wanna know who you are. Because if you braved the storm as a guest for a first time here at Alpine Church and you're attending with us, we would love to connect with you. That's exactly the kind of person we're looking for. And so good job. I get the opportunity to close out this five-week series on culture wars. We're going through the book of First Peter, and I think this has been an awesome series. So if you've missed any of it, I'll recap it real quick. But really what Peter is writing to the church at this time and he's communicating to the church to how to be, how to live in a secular culture. And that's exactly what we are facing now. And if you go back a couple thousand years ago when this was written, it was the same scenario. And I have news for you. For generations to come, it's going to be the same scenario. There is always going to be this secular culture. I think every generation will say this, wow, the world is spinning out of control. And it's because of the secular culture that we are living in. And it's always the secular culture and the, the worldly truth has always been in opposition against God's truth. So there's the friction. So in week one, Peter starts off and he says, hey, look, as followers of Christ, you are going to face trials. So look, if you haven't faced any trials in your faith, it's coming. Because Peter says it's not a, a matter of if, it's more of a matter of when. And then in week two, we looked at how Jesus is the light of the world, and as followers of him, we are the light in the darkness of this world. And it's by how we are going to be living that the culture is going to notice the followers of Christ. So God wants us to live lives that are honoring to God. And when we do that, God's word says the culture is taking notice. And in week three, we looked at the family structure. Again, culture always is trying to redefine God's truth. And when husband and wife are both pursuing God together, making Christ the center of the family, then that is a healthy family, and the outflow of that is now healthy children and healthy structure. And then last week, Pastor Chris was up here, and he did a great job. This is not just some external battle that we are dealing with as we are dealing with the secular culture, but there's this interior battle, and that's the sin problem that we all have. And even as followers of Christ, these bad habits can come back and lurk and cause difficulties in our lives and in our relationships. And the antidote of this is to love and pursue God recklessly and allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and do a work in and through us. And today, we're going to be wrapping up the series with this, the final battle instructions from 1 Peter chapter 5. And so here's kind of the big idea. Peter reminds the church that the battle with our culture is not a losing effort. 30 years earlier, Jesus was the one reminding Peter. And so as we look at culture, it's very easy for us to get frustrated. 
You know, I don't know about you, but these last couple of years, we've been really challenged. And there's been all different kinds of scenarios in just our world, first with this pandemic that came, but really there was a lot of opportunities to get frustrated with the culture. And if you're anything like me, and I've said this, and I realized I was wrong, it's like, Jesus, why don't you just come now? Man, it does look like the world is spinning out of, the, out of control. And here in our country, it looks like it's spinning out of the control. And I've been frustrated. I've been influenced by the media, and I'm, I get frustrated. I was like, why am I watching this? It's just frustrating me. And I get irritated. At any rate, it's like, Jesus, just come now. But let's jump to 2 Peter, because God answers this question. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, says, here's what it says. It says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. See, there are people that are living in our culture, in this world right now, that need more time. When I look at my fake journey, I didn't come till, to faith till in my mid-20s, and I'm grateful that that time was a gift. And some people need more time but understanding that God's timing is perfect. And yes, Jesus is going to come and put an end to all the chaos that we experience in this broken world. But until that happens, we submit to him, we submit to his commandments, and we try as best as we can to put that into practice by obeying his commandments. So here's what we're gonna be looking at today. Three points, and the first one is this. We need to approach the battle with humility. Now, what we're going to be doing on the left, you're going to see Jesus' instructions to his disciples. And then 30 years later, we'll get to back to 1 Peter. So if you have Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22 and 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to see how these instructions, 1 Peter was taking them from Jesus. And we're going to look at Luke 22 when Jesus spoke these instructions to his disciples. And Peter was one of his disciples. And then we're going to look at Peter now after receiving these instructions 30 years later is giving these instructions to the church. And we're going to see how these parallels, these scriptures parallel each other from Luke chapter 22 and 1 Peter chapter 5. So let me bring you up to speed before we jump into Luke chapter 22. This is the last night that Jesus is spending with his disciples. He's about to go on his mission to die for the sins of the world. So this chapter in Luke chapter 22 is very popular. And so we see this is also where it's called the Last Supper, where he's having a meal with his disciples, and he institutes communion. And he takes bread, and he said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. And he says, this, this wine represents my, my blood, which is this new covenant between God and man, and it is poured out for you. It was poured out for our sins. And then right after Jesus says that, he says, tonight, one of you are going to betray me. And then in Luke 22, verse 23, all the disciples start arguing like, no, Jesus, we're not going to betray you. Surely not me. I can see Peter. Surely not me, Jesus. And they start looking at each other. And they're all saying, no, we're not going to betray you, Jesus. And then we pick up the story in verse 24. Here's what it says. It says, then, right after that, they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, but among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, 
and the leader should be like a servant. So it's interesting to me that here's the disciples, and they're with Jesus, and they just took communion, and he says, one of you are going to betray me, and they start arguing, and then they transition to who's going to be the greatest among them? Who's going to be the greatest disciple? This is going to be the most, the biggest and most important event in the world has seen of Jesus coming to the world. He came for this reason and this person, or this, for this reason and this purpose, and he's about to fulfill this. He's going to go to the cross so that we can be reconciled back to God, and it is amazing, and the disciples get off track, and they're looking at who's going to be number one, and I love how scripture communicates here. It says, among themselves, who would be the greatest among them? It says, Jesus told them, this king, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over the people. And so we can see that right now. Kings, presidents of today's day and age, of lording over people, of wanting to be more powerful, of wanting to be a greater nation, a nation that might want more resources. And nations go in and take, and that's exactly what's happening in our world right now with Russia and Ukraine. It's these leaders that want to be more, more powerful, have more resources, and they go to war and they take it. But Jesus is saying, but for you, my leaders of my church and my followers, it's gonna be different. That is not how you are king. That is not how you are the greatest. That's not how you are first. Jesus flips it upside down on him. He says it's all about humility. It's all about putting yourself as the lowest rank being as president, it would be like being, becoming the lowliest of servants. This is what I want you to do. I want you to approach the culture with humility, so you need to humble yourself. And it's going to look different than what the world is used to, because pride and greed get in the way in the worldly realm. But for you, for my people, for me, we are servants, that we approach this with humility and we humble ourselves, and then we serve everyone. Put yourself very last and be a servant to all is what Jesus is communicating. Now, Jesus just didn't just say this. He also modeled it. Now, we know that the washing of the feet was right around when the Last Supper, when Jesus broke and took communion with his disciples. So it was right, either right before or during or right after the meal where Jesus got up and wrapped a towel around his waist and started washing the feet of his disciples. And we can see by their reaction that this was not something they were comfortable with. They're like, no, Jesus, not you. You cannot come and wash my feet. And so what Jesus is doing is he's modeling this. Not only is he communicating these instructions to his disciples, he said, I need you guys to understand this. I'm modeling this for you. And they, he fought through the nose and he washed the feet of his disciples. And this is so important for us to understand that if we are going to reach our culture, the battle instruction is to come in our culture with humility. It's not to brace yourself with other weapons, to be able to go have arguments, to be able to go have friction and that opposition. No, there is a time where we are gonna speak love and truth, but we put on humility, we humble ourselves so that creates this environment where we go in and serve the people and we build the relationships to be able to have conversations about love and truth. And here's Peter's instructions to the church. And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. The word dress yourselves literally means to put on an apron. And I love this because a servant, before they got to work, would put on an apron. And what God is asking us to do is to approach it with humility, but to put on the apron and get to work. That's what Peter is writing to us here, is there's a lot of work to be done because God wants to reach the culture. God loves all people. God is love, and he loves all people. And he wants us to be a part of his plans. His plans are good. And he invites us into this relationship where we are going to partner with God. He does the heavy lifting. But he expects us to do our part in reaching the culture, those who don't know him. And I love that we get to be a part of it. Now, it helps me to understand. I just got done saying, man, I can really look out at the culture and get really frustrated. But when I read back and I started studying more about this topic as I was going to be teaching here this morning, I went back and looked and when Jesus came into this world, he was out of step with this world. He was not received. And it just, I had the wrong perspective. I've always said, oh, the culture doesn't get it. But really, we are the ones that are out of step of this world. We are the ones that are different than the world. Meaning the people in culture are looking at you Bible-beating Christians saying, please don't tell me how to live my life because you guys don't get it. And so you see this opposition, but it helps me to understand that, that the world is the world. They oppose Jesus. They're going to oppose us. Of course they don't get it. And we need to be able to approach the culture with humility and humbling ourselves putting our pride aside, knowing that there's going to be conversations that need to have, but the relationship has to be first. And so I'm going to say it one more time. God is asking us to put on humility, to dress ourselves with our aprons and get to work and reach the culture. And here's point number two. This is really important. important. Satan is the real enemy, not culture. Here's how Jesus tells us about Satan. He says he is the prince of darkness. And so what Jesus, the ultimate king, is in full authority. Like he has, he is in complete control. But he has allowed Satan to be the ruler of darkness. And that's his role here on earth. Satan was like, you, I can rule in darkness? Yes, under the authority of Jesus. And we see this authority played out with Jesus and Satan. And here's Jesus talking to Simon, who's Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So I love this, that Satan comes and he wants to put the disciples to the test. And this reminds me of Job back in the Old Testament. Where Satan came to God and said, God, the reason why Job worships you is because you've blessed him with so much. You've blessed him with so much finances and children and family. So God says, okay. Satan goes, I bet I can get Job to curse your name. God says, okay, go ahead, put Job to the test, but don't harm him. 
And so Satan comes and destroys his livestock, takes all of his finances away. His children were all in a, in a building and says the building collapsed and all of his children passed, died. And yet Job still did not curse God. Amen. Amen. Job is such a great story. So Satan comes back to God and says, well, it's because he has his health. God says, okay. But the only thing, you can't kill Job. So Satan goes to Job and he, he says, it gives him sores from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head and he's in pure agony, pure agony. It says he takes pottery and he's scratching at the sores and he's in misery. We know he's in misery because his wife comes to him and says, please, Job, curse God and die. She doesn't like to see her husband in this pain and suffering. But he doesn't. He never curses God. God goes on to restore and renew him and Job finishes his life better than he started it. But here we see Satan comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to put the disciples through the test. I want to sift them like wheat. Sifting wheat is this violently shaking process. Satan is saying, I want to put your disciples through the test. So there's good news here. Jesus, in his remarks to Satan, doesn't say, no, you can't do that, Satan. No, Jesus just allows him, just like he allowed Job. And the same is true for us. But there's better news. The better news is this. Do you know that Jesus is praying for you in the same way Jesus was praying for his disciples? And what, what is he praying? That our faith shall not fail. See, these trials that we face, the trials that Peter was talking about in the very first chapter of this book are ways that God is working. Even if Satan is influencing us, there's these tests that we're going to face. And what he's allowing is these tests are to really expose our weaknesses to what? To strengthen us, to strengthen our faith. We experience these trials because that is a part of God's plans for us. He loves us tremendously, but he wants to see his children grow. And he allows us to go through these trials and these challenges in life so that we are stronger. And through that process, we learn to depend more on Jesus. We learn to depend more on God and putting our trust in God. God, I don't know all the details of what you're doing. I don't. I don't know all the details, but I'm going to trust that your plan, your timing you know all things, I do not. And I'm going to put my faith and trust in that. And when we, after we come to faith, it says he's, God dwells in us, we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And it's through the strength of God now that we can get through these tests that we're reading about in Scripture. And I asked you earlier, if you haven't experienced trials, they're coming because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And our response is to, to turn to God and trust God. Now let's look at Peter's response. Stay alert, he says. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in the faith. I love this imagery of a lion. There's a reason the lion is the king of the jungle. He is a ferocious beast. And he's smart. And when you look at how a lion devours and is on the lookout. He preys on weaker animals. He preys on strangled animals. The lion is very smart. He looks for animals that are isolated and then he goes and preys on them, prances on them, destroys them. 
And the imagery here of that's how Satan works. How many people are dealing with these struggles in life that lead to sadness and depression and they're looking inward at their struggles? Satan loves to come in and destroy. He is the ruler of darkness because his goal is to seek, kill, and destroy us. Destroy us spiritually, but also to destroy relationships with those who are already followers of Christ. Like he's real and he's influencing the world. And he's just like this lion that Peter is describing, especially back then. They would have had this imagery of how fierce a lion is, and so do we, but not so much in the United States. But we have the Discovery Channel where we can see this fierce, powerful, and nothing stops a lion. Once he has a target, he seeks, kills, and destroys, and that is the same thing that Satan does. But as we approach culture, Peter's telling The church, stay alert, because Satan wants to attack believers as well. Stay alert, be on the lookout, don't get blindsided, don't isolate yourselves, make sure you're in community, be with other believers. But also in Ephesians, it's talking about how we should address the culture. Looks what it says in verses six, or chapter six, verse 12, it says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Like, I know relationships can be hard, but the real enemy here is Satan, not people. Over the years, my wife and I, we love meeting and sitting down and, and going through marriage basics and marriage conversations because we know marriage is difficult, but here's what you need to hear. Your spouse is not your enemy. Kids, there's some tough teenage years. If you're already beyond them, great. If you're coming up upon them, they're gonna test your parents, but your parents are not the enemy. When you look at, in our world today, I said I was being influenced by the media. There are certain news stations that I just could not listen to. But the people within those news forums, They're not the enemy. It's Satan. We've been tested politically in this world like never before. But whatever camp you're in, the other camp is not the enemy. The enemy is the darkness of this world, and it's rooted in Satan's will of causing destruction in lives. And what he wants us to what he wants us to be is looking at the people as enemies. And say, you know, it's not worth reaching them. But God says, no, then we have it wrong. Our enemy is Satan. If we're frustrated with the sin, that's good. Hate the sin. Love the sinner. And God wants to use us in this process of reaching people. So let's humble ourselves, put on our aprons, and get to work. But know that the real enemy is Satan. And here's our last point. Trust God for ultimate victory. So we have this humility that we are supposed to dress ourselves with as we enter into the culture and recognizing that Satan is the enemy, but ultimately that it is through Jesus that we will experience ultimate victory. And there are so many people within the culture that we are facing that don't understand this victory because they think the here and now is all there is, meaning they're born They're going to live their life here on this earth, and then they're going to pass. But there's more to God's plan. 
And for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, we know at that moment we inherit this eternal inheritance that's for God's children. And we're going to spend time with God, an eternal time with God. And we're going to look at Jesus is telling the disciples about this. He says, you have stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is this eternal picture now. Again, this is, this is verse 28. And all we have to do is go back to 23 and 24 when they were arguing and wondering who was going to be the greatest. And what Jesus is doing here is he's giving the, the disciples a snapshot of this eternal inheritance that he has for his disciples. And it is a beautiful picture. He says, thanks for sticking it out with me. Peter denied Jesus three times on the night he was betrayed. He faltered, but he did not fail. And the disciples were put through this test, a testing, but they persevered. Now Judas, that's another story, he failed. God dealt with that. But it's so encouraging to see they wanted to be the greatest, and it's through becoming a servant. And look at what God's promises to them. Now they just had the Last Supper. They just had the Passover meal together where, they, where Jesus instituted communion. So they have already eaten at the table, but this is the heavenly realm. This is this different picture. And I love it. It says, my father has granted me a kingdom. Who has kingdom? Kings. Jesus is the ultimate king. And we see this beautiful promise from God to the disciples, and here's what he says, and you will sit on thrones. The disciples are, are going to sit on thrones, and they're going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That is this beautiful picture of heaven. And now Peter gives the church encouraging words. First Peter 10 through 11, it says this, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. So here's Peter communicating that to us now. We're the current church, followers of Christ. And it says that as we worship now, we give God all the glory. It's all about him. And he's going to share that glory with us in heaven. There's this, in, this eternal inheritance about sharing God's glory with his people, and it's all because of what Jesus did on the cross, that Jesus made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. We had no part in it. Jesus did all the work, and it's by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, and the minute you do that, understanding that you're a sinner and Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you have the right heart and the right information, and they align, and you say, I want to submit my life to Jesus. I, re I receive your gift of salvation of when you went and died on the cross for me, Jesus. It says right then and there, you will be saved, saved from the consequences of your sin, and you inherit this eternal blessing of spending eternity with Jesus. You know, the truth is, there's two options for everyone. God brought us into this world and there's two options. Hell is a real place and people are going there. That's the first thing we need to understand. The second is being forgiven and trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of our sins. And when that happens, we will live eternity and experience what God will do. He says, yep, you're going you're to experience suffering. There it is. After you've suffered a little while, 
And God's word says it's good to suffer for Jesus. All the disciples except John, 11 out of the 12 were martyred. They were killed for their faith in God, in Jesus. And so here we see this. Now, I don't think that's going to happen to any of us here in this country at this current time. Who knows in years it could change. But after we've suffered a little while, look at God's part. These are promises to God. He's going to restore us. No longer are we going to be experiencing anything here. He's going to support us. He's going to strengthen us. And he will finally place us on a firm foundation. That foundation is heaven. Where there is no pain. There is no suffering. There is no word the enemy. It is perfect harmony between us and God. And that's what God wants for everyone. And for those who don't know God, and so I just want to encourage you to think through your families, think through your coworkers, think through your influence. God wants you to put on humility, put on the apron, and get to work and reach them and point them to God. God does the saving. God does all the, levy, the heavy lifting and everything that we're talking about here. And when we come to a place and we don't know what to say and we don't know what to do, we just say, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm putting my faith in you. Through the Holy Spirit, guide and lead me. And sometimes it's just listening. I've learned that. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just sit next to someone and listen. Build that relationship that you can share the most important response and decision a person has. And that is everything to do with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for you. God, you are so perfect. And Lord, we know that we're going to be challenged as, as we are wrapping up this series of really going into the culture, making an impact for your purpose and for your glory, Lord. I pray that we'd have a thirst and a hunger within us, Lord. And I pray that we'd first start in our families and the influences that we have, Lord, and the relationships that you've already formed. I, I just pray that this is so important a response to you. But unfortunately, your word says this, that many people are going to reject the gospel, reject what Jesus did on the cross, Lord. And so I pray that as Alpine Church currently right now, as the torch has been passed to us, your, your, your followers at this time, Lord, that we would go into the world and we would do our part. So guide and lead us, Lord. Give us the boldness and the strength that we need to do to be able to accomplish your will in reaching the culture. I pray that for all my brothers and sisters in Christ here, Lord. And I pray for anyone that's either watching online or that's here this morning that has yet to make that faith response to you, Jesus. I pray that you would draw them close, that they would understand that, God, you are pursuing them right now because of your love for them. And I just pray that they would understand that you demonstrated your love by giving your life for us, Jesus, so in return we could receive life. I pray that they would make this response, that they would recognize they are sinner, that they would confess that to you, and that they would believe in their heart that, yes, you died on the cross for their sins, but you raised three days later, and you defeated not only sin, but also death. And the same now is true for all who believe in you. I pray that they would make that response. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.